everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Cultural Reset Artist Interview Series. My name is Nick Lee. This is Shay Irvin. We're back with another incredibly inspiring and incredibly revolutionary artist. Um, we're here with T Tyler Simone Moulton of Lesibu Grand, Lesibu Grand, and um, she is an, an incredible artist who has um, done a lot in, in terms of genre bending, in terms of music, and she's here to kind of tell us her story and everything. So would you feel comfortable introducing yourself? Uh, yes, but thank you for the introduction that you've given. Uh, like Nick said, my name's Tyler Simone Moulton, but usually go by Tyler or Tyler Simone, and my pronouns are she, her, and I am the lead singer of the Cebu Grand, and uh, we make indie rock basically, but we do genre bend in several different ways. And, you know, I'm just here to make music that tells a story and that speaks to the people. Yes, and we love that. We absolutely love that. So we're going to begin by asking you a question that we ask all of our artists, just a standard question. Where did your individual creative journey begin? So my individual creative journey would probably have began in elementary school, I would say. That's like the earliest time I can remember just like doing artistic expression, not necessarily singing, but like painting and drawings. I always was very intrigued by artwork. Um, I began singing and playing music when I was in uh, middle school. I played violin and I really realized that I could sing. So I started just kind of doing my own thing, just mainly singing cover songs or whatever I was listening to on the radio. But um, I definitely enjoyed music at an early age. So I would say it started then. Nice. And how, so when did you decide to actually create Leslie Blue Grand? So Leslie Blue Grand is a duo of sorts. So John Renault and I are the co-owner partners, uh, band members, if you will. Uh, we songwrite together and he and I actually formed Lesibu Grand in 2018. Um, it seems like just yesterday, but uh, we had been a part of other projects of our own. He was in a funk band and I was singing um, background vocals for another pop rock band um, in town. And we ran into each other at a uh, Pains of Being Pure at Heart show. And we just started talking about how cool it would be if we just like collaborated. Um, we didn't really have a set idea of what the band would sound like. We didn't even know it was going to be a band, but that moment was basically the time that we started generating ideas about um, us working together as musicians. Um, we had already known each other prior because he and my mom used to work together. So that's how I even pointed him out of the crowd. But it was like a pure serendipitous event that we ran into each other and then we just started talking music and then uh, the rest is kind of history. We met up with each other and he brought some of his musician friends in to just play guitar and drums and thus the band was formed. <laughs> That's awesome. Do you ever incorporate the violin, bring it back? Uh, we haven't yet, but not to say that we won't in the future, but not yet. <laughs> I'm trying to focus on singing mainly. Right. So when you create your art, how do you kind of get into the mindset or you and your band, what do you, what do, you do to find yourself in that creative environment where you can cultivate your music? So with like songwriting specifically, I would say it just depends on my mood. Sometimes if I am feeling like an extreme sense of happiness or sadness or just like angst, that creativity just comes out and I like come up with lyrics that are kind of 
you know, angry or just whatever mood I'm in really. Um, and also we do collaboratively come up with song ideas if we're just hanging out on a practice day or something and somebody says a funny joke, um, like the song Hot Glue Gun, for example, came about because we went costume shopping and the lady told us to use a hot glue gun. And that's how the song title even came to be. But the song itself definitely came from something that was more meaningful. And we just kind of build on those coincidental moments and make it mean something as far as um, artistic expression. And we do put a lot of thought into it though. Definitely, like picking and pulling different things and different inspirations and bringing it together in like a collage of of an album. I think that's Definitely. that's really cool. Collage, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, so you mentioned that you were um, performing before you actually met John. What type of music were you doing before? Was it similar to the sound that Leslie Legrand has now or was it a different type of music? Um, it was also rock, but it was a little more pop oriented. Um, I think that with Lucivu Grand, we're more new wave and electronic in some ways. Um, the bands that I sang in prior were just regular pop rock, um, more alternative rock, you would call it. Um, so this is definitely a new genre with Lucivu Grand. And I feel like it is kind of genre bending, like you said earlier, because we don't really stick to a specific category necessarily. So it's definitely not like any other band that I've been in prior. It feels like there's inspirations of indie pop and pop rock and, you know, but it definitely is not one or the other. Right. And we even yeah. have inspirations from like country music and R&B and hip hop. Like we have a lot of other influences, basically like a melting pot or a collage of just influences. Yeah. Did you meet your bandmate in Atlanta? Like, how did you, um, have you, like, you grew up in Atlanta and that's where you've basically um, stayed? I grew up in the metro area. So if you're from out of town, I'd say I was from Atlanta, but I grew up in Cobb County. Um, and so I knew John because he works with my mother at uh, Turner Broadcasting, which is now Warner Media. And uh, she, he was my mom's boss. So that's how I knew of him. Um, I didn't actually form a relationship with him until maybe later in my like in my mid early 20s I guess um when I was like going out to the music scene really and that's when I actually began playing in bands was in my uh, early 20s um and so I just we had, were Facebook friends and so I followed his band he followed mine so we had like the social media relationship and then it progressed mm -hmm. to our um friendship that it is today that's so wholesome. Like, I love that you guys. I know, we're just like, it is very wholesome. I'm like, this is the Brady Bunch story if I ever heard one. <laughs> Yo, I mean, and I really also wanted, I was excited to have this discussion with you because I wanted to talk about what you do on like a broader scale, right? So Tyler, you are a black female artist that is out here in the 21st century producing pop rock and indie rock. Mm -hmm. What is that like for you navigating the music industry being that? And I'd say being that because I think we can all agree, you know, the industry sort of, sort of tries to segment Black women in particular into a certain category of artistry. So what has it been like for you defying that category? Um, so thankfully, I kind of keep my blinders on and I don't know if I should say thankfully or not because it's not like I'm unaware of it. 
um, as it affects me directly, but I definitely surround myself with people who do not try to box me in. And I do that intentionally. Like all my bandmates are, and pretty much everyone I work with are like typically white men, but they're not uh, putting limitations on me necessarily. I think they're actually recognizing there is a stigma of uh, being a black female artist and what that expectation entails. And so they're definitely building me up to defy those, you know, boundaries, I guess you would call them that people try to set like, oh, you're a black woman and you're trying to appropriate white culture. I have been told that on social media. And it's just interesting um, to hear those things when I know they're not really based in fact, but I kind of let it roll off my shoulders because I know that um, I know who I am and I've always been a person that did my own thing and I didn't really get, you know, affected by how other people thought I should act. No, that's really, really dope. I'm happy that you have that attitude towards what you do. Yeah. Um, I know that we talked about this in, in a previous interview that we did, but one of the artists that we spoke with, I think it was Nyambi Ra, um, she talked a lot about how important it is to surround yourself with people who kind of believe in what you do and believe in who you are. Definitely. So I think it's really cool that you decided to surround yourself with people who, who don't put you in that box. But I'm wondering, have you ever had an instance outside of social media in your personal life where you, you know, surrounded yourself with somebody initially who, you know, tried to box you in or tried to, you know, see you in a certain lens? Um, I think, yes, maybe upon, I'm trying to think of a specific instance because that's a good question and I really need to reflect on it to see if there's like a specific thing that stands out. Um, I feel like more in my early childhood, not so much in my adult life, that happened more often. Um, I did used to get called like uh, Oreo or something like that because of just how I speak. Um, and I was always interested in like alternative music. So people would make comments about that, like, oh, you're not black enough. Or even from like non-black people putting me into a box, I would say I would get that same kind of feedback. Like I have had white friends that said, oh, I'm blacker than you, for example. And I'm just like looking at them like, what are you talking about? I'm black. So there's no such thing as being blacker than me. Like being black doesn't mean what you're trying to say it means. So there's definitely been um, my life experience where I feel like people try to define what blackness is and they don't necessarily know what they're talking about because blackness is just like anything else it's not linear it's not monolithic or whatever you call it it's just it's just people being people and people are different things and people grow and evolve and change and that's kind of what we're all about so exactly I, but I also kind of talk about this a little bit more in depth too because this is a really big issue and I, I, i'm happy that you touched about the fact that you encountered that type of pushback and that boxing in from your own community, but also from people who weren't of color as well. Yeah. Like that That's something that commonly happens, I know to me. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I was also called an Oreo based on how I talk and like how I act, because you know people have this sort of conception of like what acting black is and what making black music is and what black music is and what music you should like and what you shouldn't like. So and I just wanted to say like before we move on, like that's, I'm happy that you touched on that. Sure. Yeah. I didn't even know where I was going with it, to be honest. I didn't prepare these questions. I'm like, dang, these are some deep questions. I really should answer. 
they're real but yeah it's a good question and it's something to reflect about for sure whether you're like the person on the receiving end or the you know delivering of those types of comments because i don't think they're rooted necessarily in a bad place but it's just insensitive really and it just you know it's unnecessary so we should kind of try to make adjustments to just be better absolutely yeah especially when it's you know low-key bullying yeah oh so. <laughs> um hi keep low-key what's the difference yeah. <laughs> it's just not good right. yeah i feel like people need um some social skills development <laughs> know how to talk to other people but uh I wanted to ask you about if that has carried over into your music or if not do you have a mission for the music that you make like do you have a message or something in particular that you are really trying to put out into the world I think the message is speaks for itself with just the fact that I am a black woman in a punk rock genre like that is a statement in and of itself so like Mm -hmm. the music is what I want the music to be about and that can vary from you know political stances to heartbreak but to do it in a style that's unique um or I guess atypical would be just to lead by example if there are other people out there who think oh I can't do this because I don't fit the mold Mm -hmm. um they see me and say you know I can do, if she can do it, why can't I, you know, because anybody can do it. Just do what you want to do is really the thing. As long as you're not hurting other people in the process, I think that you should just follow your heart and do what feels right to you. And don't let other people tell you who you are and who you can be. Absolutely. Right on. (laughs) Sorry if I look like I'm mad. I'm actually squinting because the sun, I was like, oh no, I picked the wrong spot, but I didn't want to move the connection is so perfect. So if people are watching thinking I'm mad, I'm so happy right now. So don't think that I'm being mad. She's very happy, guys. <laughs> you know, but, but this does bring up a very good point in that, you know, a lot of times women are interpreted as being angry or pissed or upset because they have uh, some kind of feature that other people read as an emotion that's definitely not what's going on yeah and it's like, just like oh why are you so mad it's like I'm not mad mad you would know if i were mad <laughs> exactly <laughs> or ma'am whoever is coming at yeah. me saying i'm mad and i'm not yeah. but yeah that's definitely a good point because and i don't have that tendency like people say the opposite they're always like why are you so happy because i'm always smiling like my teeth are always showing but I'm just like, why are you worried about my face? (laughs) (laughs) Don't worry about it. It's not yours. (laughs) Who are you? Um, Yeah, I mean, I want to also talk about some of the music that you've been creating, because like, I want to talk more about your sound specifically. So from what I can tell, from what like my thought when I first listened to it was the indie rock, I could hear some inspiration from the early 2000s. I'm talking like 2000, like to th- 2005, 2006-ish, where like yeah. rock was like really, really mainstream, is is like who are your influences specifically? I would definitely say you hit the nail on the hand, like or whatever the expression is. I don't even want to say it, but <laughs> you got it right with that comment because 
early 2000s like middle school Ty Ty was listening to like Fall Out Boy and Panic at the Disco and Paramore and all like the rocking bands and the, like you said they were like the mainstream rocks mm-hmm. um so those definitely had heavy influence on me those bands particularly like those three is what I would listen to on rotation uh Panic at the Disco and Fall Out Boy specifically those were like my two go-to's um but I did listen even in those times when I was listening to those CDs heavily I was also listening to just whatever my mom was playing because she likes music a lot and then I was playing violin at the time so I listened to a lot of classical music Mm -hmm. and so I definitely had a blend of genres but as far as the rock sounds I was listening to at the time it was definitely that uh era Mm -hmm. but um I would think as a band too because my bandmates listened to rock but in an earlier time they listened to a lot of 90s punk um and just like classic rock really everybody loves some good old classic rock music yeah seriously and then my i'm kind of curious thinking about it now you see that you said your band members they listen primarily to like 90s like punk rock and stuff like that but you had that blend of Mm -hmm. music you had that like old 90s like r&b hip-hop type blend did your bandmates also listen to music like that? Or did they have to listen to music like that when you guys started working together? Well, they, um, so it's funny you ask that because my some of my bandmates, because some of them listen to other things, but I'll just say John, because he writes the songs with me. Um, he definitely listened to like, more rap during that time frame than I did, like 90s rap. He knows a lot more about 90s rap than I do, honestly. I won't say a lot more, but he knows some things that I didn't know. Um, and my drummer, he actually put me onto a couple of like R&B style and uh, just old school stuff that I'd never listened to. Not because, just mainly because of the time, <laughs> time periods. I was listening to music that was made in my time. Uh-huh. They have music that were made in their times. And there is some overlap though. There's definitely, you know, some... 70s infusion in there <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely I do go throwback sometimes and listen to some good old 70s R&B uh-huh. specifically like Minnie Riperton she's kind of on my radar as far as R&B goes right now um she's got some good tunes and like Diana Ross uh-huh. Screams that kind of stuff I'm very into that nice nice I wanted to talk about uh, your most recent song just because I'm curious, it came out in 2020 and I was wanting to know about the process of that. Um, WFS. Okay. Assuming that stands for We Fucking Suck. It definitely does. You hit it the definitely nail. does. <laughs> <laughs> yes. um, so WFS. So we released that in September of 2020, like you said, and it was right around the time where like the campaign was getting really heavy and it was almost like perfect timing, which we didn't even plan for it to be that way. Um, But it definitely came out in a time where we were looking at ourselves like we really WFS, like straight up. And um, the music video itself is, me as a cheerleader and then me as a teacher and uh the chainsaw that i have is a representation of truth 
And so basically it's like the teacher coming and schooling the kids and the cheerleader is supposed to be representing like the youthful energy and like the gumption and the hope for a better day. But we're living in a world where a better day doesn't look that promising. Um, at least in that time, it didn't. And uh, basically the teachers bring down the truth to the children, gather around little children. Let me tell you the story, how we fucking suck. Like those are the words, they're pretty straightforward. And that's kind of what we were going for with the song and music video idea. And um, you'll notice like the newspaper clippings of just like different, you know, the different subgenres of the justice, poverty, homelessness, uh, healthcare, and um, I left out one, democracy. Climate change. Yeah, I know. We forgot climate change, actually. We didn't put it in there. That'll be on part two, maybe. <laughs> Cause it's definitely pressing but yeah just those various issues are being like shown at you through the newspaper clippings and we thought that was a cool you know um way to present it because we're in a technological you know centered world these days and putting it on newspaper kind of brings you back to that older uh reminiscent time of a simpler time i guess it definitely was because now since there's so many different news sources and there's so many fraudulent news sources, it's mm -hmm. really, you know, I mean, obviously a big issue that we've been seeing is the spreading of misinformation. Yeah. And so, you know, what came in the newspaper was seen as fact, basically, mm -hmm. because like when it was just a piece of paper you got every single day. I mean, I'm sure that not all of it was fact, but at that point in time, they're like, this is the only thing I have to stay connected with what's going on in the world. Right. I never even thought of it like that. And that's crazy because this is like the age of information. Like we have so many sources to get information and misinformation too, especially. Yeah. I think that's why your that song in particular, I mean, you said it, it was very good timing for better or for worse, because it can be interpreted in many different ways. And all of them relate back to the fact that we just fucking suck. Yeah. So, <laughs> so I guess you did it. You did, well, oh my God. No, I was about to try to say, uh, you hit the nail on I know. <laughs> Good job. I need to write that down so I don't forget. Oh my god, I had to slow down and process those words before I said them. Hit the nail on the head. The nail on the head, because the head is like the little flat part, and then you're hitting the nail on its head to make sure that it's in there correctly. We're learning. We're learning a workshop or woodshop children. <laughs> Make sure you know how to put your nails in your wood. Do, do it right. <laughs> Nobody knows how to do those types of things. I feel like anymore, except for like older people. Are people going to school to learn how to be like uh, technicians? I, like I don't even know what you would call that. Schools. I think people are going to trade, trade schools, schools now. Yeah, but trade schools. If we've like taken off this kind of stigma that like you have to go to college, you have mm -hmm. to you know, get a master's degree or a bachelor's degree. Like a lot of people are seeing that there's a value in in doing other vocations and like learning something, right. learning a specific skill, and then just building a successful career off of that. Exactly. So, yeah, it's kind of breaking. I up. know. I feel like I know where you want to go with this, Nick, because I know where I want to go with that, yeah. which is digging into the fact that uh, there are certain careers that are more respected than others. 
within the United States specifically. And a lot of that is centered around the fact that there is an expectation to go to college at this point, almost so much so that there's too many people with college degrees now. It's just like, now you have to go even further. You have to get a master's, you have to get a doctorate. But at the same time, those trade skills are so essential, like, you know, and having other skills and, you know, like I'm where I'm bringing this back now is to being a musician or, you know, a singer songwriter. You can go to college. You can definitely go for, to college for that. But it's a skill that you don't need to. And it's still just as admirable because it takes skill and creativity and and uh, talent you know and it's necessary yeah (laughs) right like the world without music and art is not gonna be it's so sad (laughs) i mean like without live music alone it's so sad yeah it's heartbreakingly sad actually yeah yeah would you say i mean were you encouraged to become a musician or did you what, what was it like you know choosing this career path for you like so it was encouraged in my adult life mm-hmm. in my child life it was not because i always knew i wanted to be a singer and going to school which i do think is important to get an education i believe in education but like you said not every career needs that route and so if i knew at an earlier age that i was going to be preparing myself for this i might have done things a little bit differently um and so i would say no i wasn't encouraged to pursue music until i was an adult and i kind of feel good about that just because you do see a lot of younger artists who emerge and like get into this industry and fall into addiction or just like have a really bad life or peak early and things like that so you don't i can see the benefit in having you know that support delayed a little bit um but it definitely was delayed (laughs) No, I think that's a really excellent point too, because me and Shay have definitely talked with some other artists who talk about like how how musicianship is kind of seen in the US and how it's perceived. Um, but that's a really good point, especially, you know, at least for me, you know, I I wanted to, you know, sing and songwrite. Like I knew that's what I wanted to do. Um, but I was also pushed in that career path. Like, okay, you have to go to school. I did want to go to college, but like you have to go to college, you have to, you know, get a law degree, you have to yeah you know, really get out here because you're a black male, mm-hmm. right? And you you need to, you know, have these sort of credentials to be able to survive in this world that has traditionally shown you that they don't love you. <laughs> so that was the dynamic, you know, in my household. Was it the same for you? Like, how was it for you? I would say in my household, it was different only because... I mean, it was expected that I go to college, but more so to be able to pay for college, (laughs) Um, like doing well in high school, for example, was really important so that I could get a scholarship to college because um, I was raised by a single mother. And so we were trying to kind of make ends meet. I think she would have supported me if I was more determined to go into music um, at my college entering age, but since I wasn't, I thought honestly that it would be just like an easier route to go to college and like people kind of tell you what to do. When you go to school, you know what the expectation it's laid out for you. But with music, you have to kind of be independent about pushing yourself forward. 
and it takes a lot of initiative and I definitely didn't have that until recently and I'm still learning it I'm still gaining more uh you know I guess drive and doing what it takes to actually put your music out there and like get people to hear it and keep you know creating even when you feel like not because those happen it's like any other job like nothing's going to be a perfect day every day um so yeah that's my response to what you said i'm not really sure what the question was actually i'm just talking <laughs> no i think you answered we're it just talking <laughs> but like my i guess my thought was you know what how did your family sort of like support you, right. you told us right? yeah About the family support so the reason why I said they didn't support me when I was younger um, is kind of not all the way true because when I was a child, I told you I knew I could sing at an early age. And it's actually a funny story because my grandmother used to make me perform for like the family at family reunions and family <laughs> events. And I hated it. I was like, no, I don't want to. I would like cry. I didn't want to do it because I was like so nervous and I just felt so much pressure about being good. And so I had support in a way, but it wasn't the kind of support that I needed. I needed more like encouragement more than like opportunities to perform for people because I wasn't really ready to perform. I don't think I was a born performer. I think it takes practice for me. I think I need like time to perfect my, you know, singing or whatever I'm doing as far as the performance goes. And then I could go in front of people. And I'm that way even now. Like I don't like to perform, you know, randomly. Off the road. <laughs> I don't. Yeah. Um, perfectionist. No, I, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think I understand what you're saying. Like it's encouragement, but not exactly the encouragement that you needed. Right. Um, it's like more like, Hey, can you encourage me by like showing me different opportunities and, and yeah. Like paying for some vocal lessons. <laughs> How can I do that? I'll just put me in front of the stage. Like, Hey, sing for the whole family. Like I'm not a jester. <laughs> <laughs> No, it's definitely relatable for sure. But yeah. but do you have stage fright now? Yes. <laughs> oh, okay. Well then, then never mind. I don't have a stage fright is <laughs> the wrong word though, because it's like nerves before staging, and then once you're like one song in, it goes away. But that anticipation is always going to make you nervous, no matter what. I think no matter how mm -hmm. you go on stage, it's just that jolt of energy. Yeah, and it means you care about what you do. Yeah, you know, I remember I was yeah. watching um, some interview with Beyonce, of course. I, I freaking love that woman. Of course. Um, and, <laughs> and she was talking about, you know, about like the jitters that she got every time she hopped up on stage. Like, she got that feeling every single concert on tour, you know, and it's because, and like it gave her extra energy. Like it gave her that jolt that really made the performance extraordinary instead of just ordinary. Yeah. Um, but she talked about like how, that happens to people who are just perfectionists, you know, people who yeah. really, really care about their craft and what they're doing. So is that I, a bad thing though? That's a great thing. No, I think it's <laughs> great because it fuels you, right? Because like you, you're because at that precipice, when you're behind the stage and you're about to walk on the stage, if that's the dynamic, right? You know, you feel that fear and you have an option. Right? You can either turn back and not perform, or you can use that fear, leverage it, and use it as fuel to get up there and give the best performance of your life to this crowd yeah that's so. true that is definitely a way to um look at it I guess I never thought of it like that I think of it like I've used the fear in my head as like fuel like you said but I think of like what the bigger picture is sometimes and so I'm like what 
is really the best thing to do with my fear. Like, I don't know if that makes sense. I no, it does. It was Definitely. Your, what I you feel like, uh, sorry, fear is a fuel. Yeah. I'll shut up. What was your point? Sorry. <laughs> no, 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 no. You go. Cause I was about to go in a rabbit hole that didn't make sense. <laughs> oh, I think I was heading in the same direction. <laughs> yeah. I was just going to say that fear is fuel. You know, I was going to relate it to my fear of something like climate change and, and the, you know, that fear actually fuels me to actually change myself and my habits and, and yeah. hopefully others. I think that's, I think that's what I was trying to get to, but I didn't know how. And so like, to me, I want to use my fear for like the betterment of others rather than the betterment of myself, I guess. But I just don't know how to do that. And I guess doing music and like, hopefully being able to put my message out there and like being able to give back to the community if the time comes. Um, but I do think you said something important, Shay, which is it starts with like individual things you do in your life like lifestyle changes and it can ripple into the rest of the world. So it starts yeah. with us. That's tr so true. So true. <laughs> yeah. I wanted to, I know that our time together is coming to an end. Aww. So dramatic. I know this um, is setting and everything. It's like all the, <laughs> <laughs> uh, the precipice of a new day to come. <laughs> no. uh, but I wanted to ask you, uh, unless Nick has any further questions, um, if you have any advice for our listeners, viewers, people who are up and coming in the music industry wanting to get into it or already in it um what do you have any advice for them yes so my advice would be to follow your instincts and to remember that it's always going to take hard work whatever you do in life um, and you'll either have to work hard now or you'll have to work hard later that's what my mom always used to tell me so when you're uh, the earlier, the better is also what she used to say. So that'll mm -hmm. be my advice for anybody who's doing really anything with their life. It doesn't have to be specific to music or the arts, but definitely remember that with whatever you enjoy doing, be willing to put in hard work to get there. That's dope. Thank That's you. I, I do have one more question though, before we sign off. Um, it's about you and your new releases. So I know that the releases that we talked about are from 2020. Do you have any upcoming music or? So yes, we do. And so um, we also released, along with We Fucking Suck, we released Hot Glue Gun, which the new release for 2021 will be Hot Glue Gun Remix. And that is coming out on the 23rd, I believe. Um, and okay. it is basically a remix video from Hot Glue Gun, which is where I'm dressed up as the Pink Power Ranger. And uh, I turned Donald Trump into a Cheeto, or his likeness into a Cheeto, after defeating him uh, in a video game style arcade game. And oh, wow. um, it's basically a continuation of that video. The remix video is about me having shell shock from all the trauma of defeating the Capitol and this and that. So uh, if you haven't already, go and watch the Hot Glue Gun original, because that's out already and the remix will be out in February, end of February. Oh my topical. Yes. I am definitely gonna go watch that. That's <laughs> very exciting stuff. <laughs> yes, it's totally exciting. And I am dressed as a Pink Power Ranger and that's the best part of it all, honestly. That's so, so rad. Oh, I want a Pink Power Ranger outfit. 
I have one, but I can let you borrow it, but I'll maybe get you your own. <laughs> Yay, we could go bop around Atlanta in pink Power Ranger outfits. <laughs> I almost wore it today, actually, but it's a little cold. I'm glad I did it. Okay. <laughs> you should have worn it for the interview. <laughs> you should have worn it for the interview. That would have been. Oh, I really should have. I, next time, oh. I will. <laughs> next time. <laughs> we'll all wear pink next time. Yes. But thank y'all again for having me. Um, I hope the interview went well for y'all. <laughs> oh my goodness, Literally. yes. Thank you Literally so much. To have been able to talk to you about this. And um, I just hope that our listeners got a chance to take something away from this about, you know, what it's like being a young creative, like coming up in the industry and like how it's important to express yourself regardless of whatever confines people try to put you in. And, you know, the way that you can do that in a way that really feels authentic to you. So. Right. That's what I got. I hope everybody else got that. I hope you got that too. I got that out of it, honestly, just talking with you both. That's what I got from it. So hopefully everybody else does too. Okay. Well, thank you all for tuning into another episode of TCR. Um, and we'll be checking back in with you next week for another artist interview. Mm-hmm.